0: Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. So excited to be coming at you here from Naboo. Uh, The sparkling wine is excellent, and I so hope that you get a chance to get some. But uh, with me, as she is almost every single week, to talk about something in fandom. The one, the only, this week, the bespeckled. Christy Morris, spectacled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, got gotcha. you. How are you doing? I'm
1: good. I'm. I'm hoping I can find a calf around here somewhere in Naboo. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Feeling feeling like you need a little bit of caffeine. Yeah, need a jolt. But that's okay. The
1: discussion will do it enough <laughs> for me.
0: <laughs> uh Ooh, that's what they should call the coffee shops on Naboo. Jar Jar's Jolt. Oh, nice. Come on, right?
2: Totally works. Mm-hmm.
0: And with us, uh, it, it's so good to have him back. I, I feel like we're starting a trend that needs to be continued, is that Bruce Gibson is on more often and more regularly. How's it going, Bruce?
2: It's going very well. I had an energy shot a few hours ago at work, and it's still affecting me right now, so I feel pretty good. Plus the drinks that are fabulous here in Naboo. I mean, our server, Roubaix, She's just great.
1: I think it's pronounced She's just Rab-ay. giving me all kinds of
2: drinks that I've ordered. Rube. 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 Rabe. Sabe. Yane. She's a drink maiden. <laughs> She's a drink maiden. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: goodness. Well, we're going to have some fun tonight as we dive into Star Wars. We're going to be talking about Queen's Shadow, the brand new book from E.K. Johnson, starring the one and only Padme as well as her handmaidens. And so before we do that, of course, quick reminder, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Almost every single place you get podcasts, you can find the 602 Club. Make sure wherever you get your podcasts, you are subscribed. Make us part of your feed. So that way, each and every time we publish an episode, you get it as soon as it's published. Of course, if you're over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, give us a star rating review. Do help people find the show I know that we say that a lot. In fact, we probably said that on every single episode of the show. But it's no lie; it absolutely does help people find the show when they're searching for podcasts. There are many podcasts out there. There are would would we say there are a plethora of podcasts out there?
1: Yes, a magnanimous amount of podcasts.
0: Yes. I mean, a virtual cornucopia of podcasts. And therefore, if you're looking for podcasts, it can be difficult. So help us rise in the rankings by giving us star ratings and reviews, letting people know what you think of the show. You can also find us on Twitter, at Trek FM, on Facebook at facebook.com slash FM. Maybe you would like to join in the larger discussion with all of the fans from around the world that listen to the Trek FM shows. You can do that on Facebook and our listeners-only discussion group. It's called the Babel Conference. If you're in Facebook, just type Babel into the search field, or maybe you're on the website at trackfM and any of the show pages, there's a little discussion button and that will let you right into the group as well and last but not least maybe you would like to send christy and i an email uh we love getting emails here on the show so please go over to trek.fm contact choose a show choose the 602 club and that email will come to us and we will be able to respond to you in kind so this is not something that i had put on the outline and but i kind of wanted to ask you kind of coming into this book you know I know there there are a lot of Padme fans out there and kind of wanted to know where you guys stood on the character of Padme coming into this book. So was this something you were really excited about? Or, you know, what were you thinking before you came into this one?
1: So for me, I really got to know more of Padme and enjoyed her more actually in the Clone Wars than I did in the prequels. Um, but of the prequels, Attack of the Clones, I think is one of my favorites. Um, And I think it's nice seeing this description of what happened between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Padme's life. Um, So, uh, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Padme, but um, I do think that it was questions that maybe we always wanted answered. And now we're getting some of those. I mean, I've always liked Padme when I saw the Phantom Menace.
2: I mean, I thought she was okay, but she was the queen for a lot of the time and then when she was the handmaiden you know I liked her character with that her interaction with Anakin but it wasn't until we got to episodes two and three that I was really enjoying her character because I felt like she had more to do and she was helping to develop and push the storyline through and the development of the character of Anakin but I thought she was a very strong female character and I loved uh, the acting skills that Natalie Portman brought to the role And so I enjoy the actress, therefore I also enjoyed the character. And so seeing a book like this, I thought it's about time that we get more of a Padme story. And I was really interested to get into that and see her have her own story or adventure without having Obi-Wan and Anakin or Jar Jar or whoever there. It's like I wanted to see her own thing. So I was excited about seeing this book being published.
0: Yeah, you know, this is something that I've always thought would be a good idea, you know, to create a Padme novel. I mean, you know, taking into account, you know, I've read a, a, quite a few of them now because of aggressive negotiations. John Mills and I have been going through the uh, Jedi Apprentice series, which, you know, it's it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon before the Phantom Menace as Obi-Wan's being trained. You know, there's so much you can do with these characters and stories like that, really kind of giving us a good backstory and history for them. and with Padme, you know, specifically going from Queen to Senator and the idea of, you know, those 10 years before Anakin and Obi-Wan show back up in her life, there's got to be a lot that happens to this character as she kind of becomes a, you know, as we can tell from that movie. And then, of course, like you said, Christy, the Clone Wars really adds to this. Padme is a seminal character in the Senate at this point. You know, people respect her. People listen to her. So there there has to have been some kind of story behind that. So to do this kind of thing, I felt like always would be a good idea. And, and you know, I've always liked the character of Padme personally as well. And specifically, I think you called out, Christy, and rightly so. I think the Clone Wars gives us a, a, a huge amount of time to really spend with this character that we just didn't get to do necessarily in the prequels Mm -hmm. Uh, and gives us a lot more characterization and understanding about who she is and um, how she works, how she thinks uh, and of course what she was like as a Senator as well. And so really enjoyed all of that. And so coming back to, you know, this book basically being queen to Senator, I think that's a really interesting idea. And I think, I think to me that may be the best part of the book, too. The, the way it helps transition the character from one part of her life, from one type of service to the next. Because um, I don't know if I'd ever necessarily put a ton of thought into it, but that's a big transition. The, the, the way that she was queen on Naboo is completely different than the way that she was senator uh, for uh, Naboo in the Senate. And so I really appreciated watching E.K. Johnson take this character who had one way of of serving a people and having to find a completely new way to do that because what she did as queen doesn't, doesn't necessarily translate to what she will do as senator. I thought that was great.
1: Right. Like, I mean, she really, to me, I think the thing that I identified with the most in that part of the book was that it, is drawing all of these similarities between politics in Padme's life and politics in real life that we deal with all the time. That it feels like everybody wants to know what's in it for them, speaking about the legislation that Padme was trying to draft for uh, that planet that was having issues. What was it? and uh And that people always are in somebody's pocket or have a faction that they identify with. And that politics really is, in a sad way, I guess, um, not what Padme thought it would be in that, you know, she thought well, you, you're a good person. You come in with these intentions of helping people and you all vote on it and democracy wins and people get help. And she found out it's not that way necessarily and that you've got to show the other um, species and worlds what is in it for them in order to get something that you want. So, you know, sort of back to this legislation thing of putting the pork in a bill like we do sometimes.
2: What I found interesting in this book is that transition that you're talking about, Matt, because I just made the assumption that when she was done being queen, she just naturally went to become a senator. Like it was her decision. And so what this book showed me was that it really wasn't a decision that she made. It was something that the new queen Positioned her for. So after Padme was queen, she wanted to help others and she's trying to figure out exactly how she was going to do that. So now she's in this more political role as a senator. And as a queen, you are ruling, it is your rule, it's your dominance. And so she doesn't have to play politics as much as now she does as senator. And it's interesting as being a senator, how she kept having to reflect back to the events we saw in The Phantom Menace of what it was like to plead to the Senate and that the backlash that has come from that and the stain it has left on her reputation from the other senators that they don't really necess- necessarily welcome her. So I think being a queen of Naboo where she's well welcomed and well respected, now she's put in a situation Where she has to prove herself to other people to gain respect and figure out who's on her side and who's not. So it's a very drastic transition for her in her queen random life to now a life of being a senator and a politician. And so that adjustment she handles actually very well. But it's interesting to watch that progress. Well, and
0: it's really interesting because, you know, for Padme being queen, it's so much more about tradition and almost being an icon. Whereas being a senator is something it's so it's it's more about personability, you know, getting to know people and and mainly getting to know the other senators and spending time with them and and coming across as If you are a real person, which, you know, I I think, you know, when we even look at our politics today, authenticity for our politicians is something that we appreciate. Mm -hmm. You know, people that come across as more authentic are going to be ones that connect with people. You know, I know um, people have always said that that's exactly what it was like to like meet Bill Clinton. If you met Bill Clinton, you felt like you were the only person in the room that he was paying attention to. That, you know, that when he was talking to you, you felt like he cared about you. And I've had some friends who've actually met George W. Bush and they felt the same way. You know, it's like they, they had this ability to make you seem like you were the most important person in that moment. And that kind of personability and that kind of authenticity of character makes a big difference. And Padme has to make that switch. But what I thought was really interesting too is that she realizes that being queen was a mask and being Senator is a mask. And so therefore both of them aren't necessarily who she is just as Padme, like the real authentic Padme. Well, the real authentic Padme, please stand up, you know, like, because we, we don't really get to know her except for those moments. I think in like when we see in the clone wars and, um, And, of course, in the prequels where she's alone with somebody like Anakin, you know, where that's the real her, you know, the the kind of the vulnerable person, um, the the person um, who's who's it's okay to fail in front of somebody to not be perfect in front of everybody. And I think we really see that just that's the thing I think EK was really able to do in this book was show that slow transition of her having to find a way to interact in this completely different type of political realm that she couldn't just automatically go, oh, when I was queen, I did this because a lot of the things she did as queen don't work as senator Mm -hmm. and having to find that new routine, that new rhythm for herself, which I thought was really smart. And so I really appreciated that because I thought it brought a lot out and it you know, it's one of those things like after reading this, you kind of have a better appreciation than for when you do see her in the Clone Wars now. And, you know, it's been those 10 years and you see this really established senator who's been able to interact with all these people and is well liked by them and is well respected by not just the senators, but uh, by the general public as well. She seems to be, you know, somebody who has earned a reputation for being a trustworthy senator, which, you know,
2: in this book seems like it, that's hard to do. Right. Yeah. And I love when you mentioned about the mask, because that was one aspect of this book that really stood out to me, is that she would make the decision, I'm Padme right now, but then when she goes to put the mask on and use that more formal, monotone tone, it's Amidala. So she would make the decision, I'm going to be Amidala right now, And then she'd
1: make the decision to go to be more natural and be Padme. I like that you mentioned that, Bruce, because that was something I really was glad that was included. Because, you know, the first time you see The Phantom Menace, you're thinking, why is she speaking in such a strange voice? And it's so, you know, kind of monotone and a little bit dull. And then now this is actually giving a reason for it so that... It preserves the anonymity so that her and the handmaidens can be interchangeable and all do the same voice. So you're going, oh, okay, yes. now it all makes sense. But before, it felt like just a weird character choice.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then when the handmaids would take on that voice, they would refer that as basically the Amadala right. voice. You be Amadala, right.
1: and I like too that no, um, you be
2: Amadala. Yeah. No, you be Amadala. <laughs>
1: Um. No, I think,
0: I think that's that's something that I thought was really cool. What you're just mentioning is that way of pulling that all out. You know, I think that's actually something that's like I, we just rewatched the Phantom Menace because um, my wife just finished the book as well, and she's like, "Let's watch the Phantom Menace." I'm like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that, and I I was. It, it was pretty clear that that's what exactly what George was going for because when you see Kira Knightley playing the role and when you see uh, Natalie Portman playing the role of Dalla in all the get-up and everything, it's exactly the same thing. Like, they've come up with a persona that other people can play that it's difficult to see beyond the literal mask that she's wearing with the makeup and the headdresses and the massive dresses and everything. So I think that just, this helps really bring that to light. Something that was, I'm pretty sure that if you talk to George Lucas, that was what he had in mind the whole time. You know, that's the whole point of this game of there being a decoy. right? You know, you create a persona that everybody can then play. And so,
1: but it works really well here. And it also made me want to go back and watch attack of the clones again. Um, You know, since we were talking about um, her, growing up and this whole period between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, um, she I like that EK throws in that little mention, not even his name, but just the boy who once thought she was an angel. I thought that was a cute way to mention Anakin and kind of lead you into how their lives are going to eventually change. Um, but it it was nice, too. I, I do want to go back to really quick the, the costumes. I felt like she really made... Um, a use for them as well in this book with talking about how some of the fabric could be protective from weapons that um, basically all of the different hats and headdresses um, distracted from the face of whoever was playing Amidala at the time. Um, And then even the back and forth when they were at Mon Mothma's party where Padme realizes and says to, I think it was to Sabe, You know, if I'm going to get their trust, Bail Organa and Mon Mothma, then they're going to have to actually speak to Padme and not to Sabe dressed as Padme or Amidala.
2: Yeah, the functions of the dress was really cool because they have a function, a strategic function. I thought that was really cool.
0: I mean, plus they apparently hide like bazookas and, you know, I mean, every weapon that she could think of to, (laughs) to... uh, you know, add in there that they, those dresses can hide was was pretty awesome. Um, no, I, I mean, I think, Bruce, you had brought something up that was really interesting, too, that the reason this is such a struggle for her, too, is because the first time that she is interacted with the Senate, she just circumvented all the rules and, you know, got a Supreme Chancellor kicked out. And so nobody trusts her because they don't think that she's willing to basically play the game which is to, you know, um become part of a team that cares about anything other than her own planet. They basically think that she is kind of, you know, utterly selfish, like all all that matters to her is Naboo. And so part of this too is her growth of trying to prove to everyone that her existence as a senator here is not just for the benefit of Naboo, but it's it she longs to Uh, benefit the entire republic. And I thought that was really interesting because, again, it made a lot. I mean, it's such a great logical progression from The Phantom Menace, where you see what she does when she's in the Senate for the only time she's there. And then her actually going to join the Senate makes complete sense that nobody would want to trust this person when they're willing to upend everything just to get what they want.
2: Yet she's more trustworthy than most of them are. Yes, which is mm-hmm. funny. Yes, you know she's more willing to help other planets than others are, and they're thinking she may be selfish, but it's the opposite.
1: Well, and like the, I love them bringing in. I mean, not them. Ek bringing in that the Trade Federation was also behind all of this biased journalism about Padme. That you know it, it's all about how Newt Gunray is still mad at her about what he, she did to him, so he's going to get at her any way he can. By this possible um, death threat situation um, or through basically having like tabloids constantly swaying the public opinion about her in a negative way
0: yeah that was really fantastic the way that they used the news media and seeing the ways in which it's controlled and she even has a really great quote about how you know the news media should be there just to basically help people understand the facts not try to sway opinion basically being opinion journalism and it's it is a very nice nod to the fact that we have so much of that in our world today where i I think one of the, the the best parts about the book is that the political milieu that ek creates which is something that you know is is working its way towards what we'll see in attack of the clones and of course revenge of the sith is the same type of milieu that we live in today unfortunately where it is about all of these people only caring about themselves and opinion journalists on every side trying to get you know their one or two percent of people to cling to them and watch them and really everybody just suffers in the middle you know like it's because nothing's really getting done. And we see that very clearly here. And I think this book does a great job of creating another stepping stone of seeing how that progression happens as, you know, everything is building towards exactly what Palpatine wants, which is to feed that selfishness, Mm -hmm. to feed that greed. Um, And it's the thing that he, he is working to feed so that it will, um, Create the uh, the place in which you know people will get so fed up with that they'll be ready for somebody to take over. They'll be ready for a dictator. You know, I mean, this whole thing is about creating um, the path for Palpatine to become emperor and to create an empire. And I really, I think this is a she does a great job of using this as as, as a, just another stepping stone for that.
1: And showing that he ends up brainwashing the entire Senate.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's a, you know, talking about Padme as queen to senator, there is a personal bit here, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, Christy, this idea of we get glimpses of what will lead Padme to fall for Anakin. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I thought she did a great job of explaining uh, through Padme's own words of why she's going to fall for Anakin. I thought that was really well done.
1: You mean after the mention of him, him thinking she was an angel?
0: Well, yeah, because, you know, she's talking to, to Sabe and she's talking about how she she would like basically to have kind of what her sister has, you know, or right, her parents to have, a, have a which life. is to have a family and all these things. And that it's really going to take somebody who can break through the walls, basically the masks that she's put up. And that's exactly what Anakin does because in many ways, Anakin is one of the few people who met Padme when she was just being Padme. She's really being herself. True. Uh, And Anakin, then when he comes back into her life, is able to break through that kind of senatorial mask that she has because he knows the real Padme. And I think that's one of the things that that helps her be able to fall in love with him because he knows who she is beyond her just being this political figure. It goes beyond that. And she allows that to be fostered. I mean, you obviously see that in Attack of the Clones when they spend the time on Naboo and and at no point really except for when she's meeting with the queen and she pulls rank the rest of the time she's pretty much just being herself you know a girl who's trying not to fall in love with the hot jedi
2: right yeah because also there's the the situation she's in where she's not really around other people that are not senators and politicians and royalty or whatever. And even people close to her own age. So she's kind of isolated from meeting somebody like an Anakin or anybody else like that. She hasn't really had that much experience and believe me to fall in love with Anakin, the way they did and all that stuff happened, happened. You would have to be inexperienced and desperate in a sense. I mean that kind of in a funny <laughs> way, but also serious. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, Yeah. I mean, it it does, you know. We never we never get any explanations about Paulo, you know, in this book, you know, and and um, but it. You're absolutely right, you know. When you think about it, both Padme and Anakin are very inexperienced when it comes to romantic love. Mm-hmm. You know, Padme has really not had a lot of time for it, and the 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 opportunities that she's had the, you know, the advances that she's had from say like Clovis were unwanted. She shuts down. <laughs> exactly unwanted. So um. Yeah, it it creates two people who are able I think to fall for each other in in almost kind of like that childlike way where you have your first crush and you know it turns into your first love and like that first love turns into something that lasts forever for some people, right? That's kind of what happens to these two. Uh and so yeah, anyway, that that's a whole other podcast we could just sit <laughs> around talking about Anakin and Padme in- and their relationship. Anakin and Padme sitting in a tree. Uh, anyway, um, it's interesting because we've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but that this book and the political realm that Padme enters here with the Senate is all about finding a faction because Padme is the idealist who enters the world of pessimism. You know, this the Senate is already kind of broken by the time she gets in here. Um, and I thought this was really, really interesting as we were able to introduce characters like Clovis, like Mina Von Terry uh, from Alderaan, who we met in the Clone Wars. And then, of course, you know, Baelor Gana, uh, Mon Mothma, Far from um, uh, Rodia, you know, characters we, we, we know then from the Clone Wars or, you know, from the, from the prequels. I thought, just I really appreciated the way she kind of dealt with the politics, like you know, I people always made fun of the prequels for politics, but I mean, I find it kind of fascinating, and so I'm glad that she didn't shy away from a lot of that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think um, it it really excited me that she was able to bring in all of these other characters in a way that was meaningful to the story, but also when they were first introduced, kind of um, bringing them in in a sly way. So, you know, when she first mentions that R2-D2 is possibly in the book, she just says the blue and white astromech. And I remember writing to myself a little note, R2-D2, hopefully. Um, and I mean, you know, what other blue and white astromechs do we know? But I just, I was holding out hope. I didn't want to be wrong. Um, and I thought it was nice that they had her mention dealing with Qui-Gon's death and that passing the Jedi Temple was meaningful to Padme. Um and even talking about Korsh Panaka and his wife and having seeing that the transition of how he ends up being part of the empire starts with something relatively innocent and just a difference of opinion about pacifism versus protecting yourself, getting him to that point.
2: Yeah. And I like the whole idea of Bael Organa, Mon Mothma, Clovis, all the characters that we were mentioning before that there is a sense of distrust or not knowing who to trust. And so I was going along that journey with Padme because even though I know Bail Organa is someone she could trust, this is her first time meeting him. And it's kind of an awkward situation because she's down in the, you know, whatever under the uh, scary area or whatever that, you know, there was a, attempt maybe on her life. That's a whole nother thing. Maybe we'll touch on, but what is bail Organa doing in the garage? Basically, why is the Senator down in that area? So it seems very suspicious. And so she's suspicious of him. She's suspicious of Bonteri Terry and of Clovis, like, and, and you have to be suspicious of them too, with her on this journey. And then in reverse, they're wondering if she's someone they can trust. And I just kept thinking, you know, and and the funny thing is I'm going to be on Capitol Hill starting tomorrow for an industry event. I go every year at this time. And I'm probably going to be thinking about this book because I'm going to think, what if this was Padme here with all these politicians and anybody you meet, you're going to try to feel them out. Like, you know, can I trust you? Or, you know, what's your agenda? Mm -hmm. It's kind of an awkward situation. And then she finally starts to recognize the group that she belongs with and they trust her and she trusts him and i think that's probably how it is in politics today in any country it's just like that and that
1: like like you're saying you can't just say it outright hey what's your agenda <laughs> you know she had to be coy about it and try to figure that out on her own just through talking about other things
2: yeah it's a test i mean they're testing each right. other and it probably is continuous forever. You're probably always testing. You can never fully trust someone in politics, even if they're your friend, because you never know what agenda that they're behind yeah.
1: at any time. So that's why I love that private conversation between her and Bon Terry, because then, you know, we hear, we realize that Bon Terry is having private conversations with someone and saying, my Lord, uh, at first I thought maybe it was, um, actually Palpatine, but it was actually Dooku. Um, I love that. Um, and so, you know, then Padme is thinking, this is someone I like, this is someone I can trust and she can't trust her either.
0: It's funny. I always think of politics, um, in light of the hunt for October, because I think the the politician there said it well, the best. And he's like, listen, I'm a politician, which means when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing the lollipops. You know, like, and that's kind of what we see here, where you it have is. these factions of people that uh, they kind of vote in blocks, right? But you're always kind of worried whether or not somebody's going to leave your block for basically a better deal with what's going to, like you were talking about earlier, Christy. It, it, classic politics, you know. Where's the pork going to come from for my my system? You know, and and we we see the way that I think in many ways Palpatine is using this, and and. Padmé has to learn to trust a faction and they have to learn to trust her specifically as we talked about with what she did in the Phantom Menace which makes her very untrustworthy to a lot of people. I mean, Bonteri just comes out and says it to her. He's like nobody trusts you because of what what happened the last time you were here. So you're going to have to basically earn that and you're going to have to find your faction to work in. And I think it's interesting because you know the the people that she ends up working with very closely are the people i think that she's most ideologically similar to you know i bail organa mon mothma um far from um rhodia i mean these are all people that we know from the series especially the clone wars these are all honorable people You know, they are people who feel very strongly and and in many ways not quite as idealistic as Padme because they've been in this longer, but they are still very good people who long for the betterment of the entire republic and not just their own system. You know, they have that goal. And so I think it was interesting seeing the way that she ends up working with them and they come to trust her. Um, And I think it's also kind of interesting because i feel like in many ways Bale learns that he can trust her because he mistakenly figures out the whole handmaiden switch Mm -hmm. yeah and just because he caught them when they're going into the bathroom and he realizes oh that's not padme that is and it's not the one dressed like the senator right and i thought that was really great because it allowed them then to kind of break down all those barriers and of anyone i think Baylor, Anna becomes the one that padme does kind of trust like a brother basically like if there's anybody in politics that she could trust completely it would be him you know because in many ways she knows her secrets Right. And, you know, he's willing to keep them, too. So I, I, those kind of things where they kind of made these, like, created these friendships I thought was really interesting. But it also, the reason she ends up on their side, I think, is because they're willing to let her in, whereas Bonteri never really, I mean, she's always friendly with Bonteri, but Bonteri is never going to let her in because we see Bonteri being seduced by the lure of Dooku and separation. Mm-hmm.
1: And that every time Padme tries to get in on Palpatine's anti-slavery committee, I think is what it was, he finds a way mm-hmm. to deflect her. So she's still always trying to figure out how to do that, but she really has found, like you're saying, Matt, the only faction that would accept her. And I, I love, too, I just need to throw in that it's funny seeing, especially here... Um, EK writing Mon Mothma as really sticking to the pacifism as her moral code when we know that later with the resistance she's definitely not so much of a pacifist.
0: And it's interesting because Mon Mothma will see her through rebels struggle with that and of course then through the rebellion she will kind of let that go but then we see her return to that in you know the sequel trilogy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in fact she makes some mistakes i would say by you know disarming the uh, rebellion army the re- the new republic army and navy in a way that kind of hampers their ability to make sure that something like that never happens again which then leads to the rise of the first order um so it's it, it's very interesting to see that progression for that character. So, yeah, um, and I loved watching their arguments because, you know, Padme would consider herself more of a pacifist, but not to the point where she, uh, and even Bail Organa and his wife, um, don't see it this way in the sense that they they are willing to, to admit that there would be a time where that might be an answer. Like war might be the only answer. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, that was, you know, it's interesting to see them all play that out. And what's so interesting is, I, I think you mentioned, Christy, about Palpatine with the anti-slavery you know, initiative. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated that part of the book as well because I think it's one of the things that we see Palpatine already gripping something that he wants to keep under his control because no, he wants slavery to continue in the galaxy because he's going to need those slaves to build a <laughs> death star. You know, he's going to need those slaves for other things for the empire. And um, also it's a way to kind of keep a specific section of the population mired in basically the dark side, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate it. I thought she did a good job with that there and thwarting padme's efforts at any time to get on that that committee because that's not what palpatine wants he wants things just to continue the way they are
1: <laughs> like yeah just be patient we're working on it don't worry about it yeah pay no attention betti- me. Yeah.
0: pay no attention to the man behind the can- <laughs> the curtain pay no attention behind the man behind the curtain um yeah I, I it's it's really i think that's something that those two things for me i think the the queen to senator section and, and dealing with Padme here and and the political machinations that are happening with all of these factions and the way the Senate is working were, were really good for me. Um, of course, this book, also we deal with the handmaidens. That's one of the big parts of the book. And I wondered what you guys kind of thought of their role and their
2: part in the story. I liked it because... It's something that I always wanted to know more about. So, I mean, they were always there; they were active in some capacity. But I knew there was more to them than we than what we've ever seen before. So seeing them individually and seeing what their goals are and their different personalities, it was just nice to see that. And I also like the transition that the handmaidens she had as queen are going to remain in Naboo and find their own careers. They're just not servants. I mean, they're actually like educated young women who are going to pursue different career paths. And then we introduce ourselves to new handmaidens, which I don't really think as much as handmaidens, but they're you know, kind of her support in the Senate. And so I love the transition because we saw different people with her in Attack of the Clones versus the handmans we saw in uh, The Phantom Menace. To see that progression was really interesting to me. And especially um, Sabe, because she did the whole, you know, going to Tatooine and, and looking to maybe try to help the whole slavery aspect of everything. I was really interested in learning more about her characters. As a matter of fact, I'd like a whole novel about her. About Sabe's exploits? Yes. I think a Sabe uh, novel would be really good, or one about Sorbet or Toupee (laughs) or Buffet or... Oh, no, wait. Those weren't in there.
1: I will say that was something that got a little redundant for me, but I understood why once Ek explained that... You know, everyone is given a new name once they become a handmaiden, and that's why they all end with that same um, accented E. Um, I said, oh, okay.
0: Well, it's not just that they're given it. They choose that name as a way of honoring who they're serving, mm-hmm. which I thought that that is, is a nice tie to the fact that, you know, like you said, Bruce, these are well-educated. You know, they they could do anything with the talents that they have, and yet they use those talents to serve somebody they believe in. I thought that was kind of neat.
1: Yeah. And I do agree with you, Bruce, that I felt like Sabe really was the most developed of the handmaidens, um, and really ends up being Padme's continual best friend and helping her out with searching for Shmi Skywalker, um, which I thought was nice, even though we know how that eventually ends. Um, and coming back, all the time to help Padme with different things as she's become a senator now. Um, so it's clear that she, Padme didn't just consider Sabe a handmaiden at the time and, you know, let her go on with her life. They stayed friends.
2: Yeah, and I pictured Kira Knightley the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: hard not to when you see a face.
0: It is... Um... I think that this was something that's really interesting in the book, and I think it does a great job of kind of giving us a lot more information about the the handmaidens and their role and their relationship with Padme. I think that was really interesting, getting to see that this is a sisterhood, you know, of of people that... The sisterhood of the traveling senator you know Mm -hmm. uh, that you know their their goal is to to serve her but by serving her they're also serving a larger cause too they did the same thing as queen and then when she's a a senator as well because they believe in what you know padme is going to do and will hopefully do not just for naboo but for the republic and i thought that was really special because it is something that we're you know I think many of us, you know, whether it's somebody politically or um, elsewhere in our lives, you know, many of us will get behind people that we believe in. And nobody may know whether we have anything to do with them or not, but we're supporting them in some way, you know, and I think that's what these handmaidens are. They're meant to be wallflowers that, that you don't even really notice they're there, but their goal is to help Padme because of what she is planning to do and you know especially as senator and so I thought that was really strong and I appreciated you know getting more about them I will say that you know as much as I liked Sabe I was actually really frustrated with her storyline because it doesn't go anywhere because yes.
2: that's why I want a book <laughs> yes because
0: um this whole part of her going to Tatooine I was I felt like the book set that up as being something that was going to be really important. Right. And then it's just not important because nothing really happens. I mean, it's awesome that they save 25 people, but then they're pulled away from that mission and it and it's just kind of forgotten. And I almost felt like it would have been better to never have had that section happen and had her just immediately come with Padme and be the person who's working um, with Tornra, I think is his name. Yeah, Tonra. 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 Um, a, a, with, you know, trying to uncover what's going on with the news broadcasts and all that. Because that section on Tatooine is so unfulfilling because, like you said, Christy, we already know she's never going to find Shmi. And then, of course, they never really do anything with this whole anti-slavery thing. Truly, And so you're just kind of left in this place where a big part of the storyline for her doesn't go anywhere. And it's just, I felt like we needed to find a way to make her more important in that way. Um, And also I just felt like, you know, that takes up page count that doesn't really add anything to the story. I know it's important to Padme to want to do that, but I think it would have been better if... Palpatine had hooked Padme by thinking she was going to be a part of the anti-slavery uh committee mm-hmm. like giving her the thought that she was going to be and that's why she chooses to go um and then kind of found a way to turn it around where she's not. You know, I feel like that would have been the better way to do that than kind of having these two different storylines going where one really isn't I don't know going to go anywhere.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
2: Well, I was a, I was a little disappointed too because this was my favorite aspect of the book up to this point because part 1 there's five parts in this book. Part one seemed to focus so much on handmaidens dressing Padme, undressing Padme, dressing her again, hanging out on the beach, talking about themselves, talking about what they're going to do next. And I think we messaged each other and you were asking me how it was going with the book. And I said, well, I've only read part one. I'm just waiting for something to Mm -hmm. happen. Like it didn't feel like there was a story being developed. It was just, Hey, let me just show you these characters. And it was great insight into them. I enjoyed that and learning more about The Handmaidens, but I was ready for, okay, where's now the story? Where where are we going with this? And then we got into this whole thing of Padme wanting to free slaves. And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I want to see her to go to Tatooine or maybe even another planet and do the things that Anakin said that he wanted to do. I want to come back and free slaves. Ant- Anakin never went back to free slaves, but what if Padme mm-hmm. did? whether it's on Tatooine or somewhere else, but there was a, it struck a chord in her in the Phantom Menace to go and want to do something like this. So I was very interested to see Padme do that. But then when she wasn't doing it and Sabé was, I was like really into this part of the storyline. I was more interested in her storyline than Padme's at this point with Tatooine. And like you said, Matt, all of a sudden, she got called home and, well, to Coruscant, and it was like, okay, that's it. And that's when everything just went for me because I was like, this is the part I was really fascinated in. And I don't know why they didn't play that out. It was such a good storyline to develop and whether it's like, I mean, we don't know the fate of Sabay later. I mean, something could have happened on Tatooine tour. There was so much potential there to do something with a character that we don't know the fate of and create that fate for her. I'm passionate about that. No, I I completely agree because, you know, Bruce,
0: you mentioned that this whole feeling of the story. And I, I think that that's the other weakness here for the book is that I didn't see a lot of connective tissue to a lot of things in the sense that it didn't feel like there was a ton of narrative flow. It kind of felt, it kind of felt more like vignettes of a senator. You yes. know, like, we're just getting pieces of her first year in office as a senator, and it kind of culminates in this massive thing where she, you know, brings everyone together for uh bomb lark. And yet it all happens so very quickly, too, that I, I felt like we were giving short shrift to just the plot of the novel, you know, which is it's not just about padme and the handmaidens but it's it's about what's going on with the 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 senate here and everything and i just kind of felt like we don't really have a strong narrative plot beyond just just the characterization of padme which and and you know some of her handmaidens which is not a bad thing in the sense that like getting to learn about them is great but it doesn't make for, I think, a very fulfilling reading experience when you get to the end of the book, and especially the way that it ends, which is just on this very strange cliffhanger, leaving us to think, are we getting a Sabe book? And and what, I mean, is she going to be part of the rebellion or something then? And like, that's where we're going next, which is, I guess, kind of interesting, but it just seems like it's such an abrupt end to the... What situation that's going on in Bromlark and then it's a very abrupt end where we're like, oh, and then we're at Padme's funeral and she's dead and right. Sabe gets a call from, uh, from Organa and she's like, it's not a good time to talk. What do you want? And it's like, it's over. It's just, I don't know. It just, it, it just
2: seems very strange. It did. And, and not only just, I was interested in the Tatooine scene, but around that time we were also getting Padme's story about the attempted murder on her. So at this point I'm thinking, okay, now I see, we have two storylines, the Tatooine slavery story and the attempted murder on Padme story. Okay. I see where this is going. And just like the Tatooine one, the murder just was like, well, it's probably Newt Gunray. And then they just moved forward and then it was brought up again later. Oh, it's probably nuke Gunray. Yeah, it's Newt Gunray. Like, I was like, "That's it that that whole story." Like, I thought that was going to be some kind of mystery thing where she suspects it's one of these senators, or or we think it's you know one of these senators is is nice, but it's, this was the only really person that was involved in trying to to uh, attempt assassination on her. Like, it just yeah, I kept thinking as I was reading this book. Okay, I'm interested in learning about Padme and her being queen and being Senator and the handmaidens and all that's great. And we've talked about that, but then I kept saying, where's the story? Like, I just felt like, like you said, it's like, okay, well this is more of like the day in the life to me. It's like, don't, don't, don't give me an encyclopedia of, this is the backstory. This is what these characters did behind the scenes when you weren't watching the movies. Like, give me a story behind this. And there were so many things that were set up that could have gone there and just were abandoned. I, I,
1: completely agree with you, Bruce. It it feels like there's no stakes. And that's what really makes a movie or a book great and not just okay is having something for them to go through. You know, that they either have to um come to a, a crossroads in their life and decide which way to go or something terrible happens to them. But it does feel like in this book that a few times we get these teasers of something happening and then it falls flat, and so I do think that we we all kind of feel a little lackluster about it because of it having a lack of stakes in it. And we know E. K.
2: Johnson can do that because she did that with Ahsoka. There were stakes mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm.
0: in that, yeah. And especially, I was thinking my uh, my wife and I were talking about that whole thing, you know, and and I, you know, you get the stakes at the end of the Ahsoka book with the planet that she's on, with the people that she's met. Um, you already see what the Empire. Is doing uh, to places like, you know, when she goes to Illum and it's been basically cored out, you know, and, and so we, and then of course she runs into Argana, which is going to lead to her becoming Fulcrum. And it's like there's all these little pieces that she puts into place. The book does a great job of taking Queen to Senator, but like you said, there aren't necessarily any stakes with what's happening. You know, even when you're telling a prequel. You have to find a way to make stakes in the storyline so that it's, it's a story worth having been told. And I think that's where, while I appreciate getting to see you know, Padme move character-wise, what's going on with her in the story and with Sabe and all of these things around them, it doesn't feel like it congeals completely to create a full fledged story um that comes together in a way that makes me feel like I had to read this you know Mm -hmm. to really get how Padme goes from being queen to senator I'm not disappointed that I read it but I can't say that this feels like even when it's expanded expanding the universe right I don't feel like we necessarily truly expanded the universe in a way that we could have by kind of really blowing our minds with something about Padme that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and that storyline and even the handmaidens that we didn't know. And so, um, you know, I mean, there's some nice pieces here. Like I really, I love when they go to Alderaan and the relationship she creates there with Brea and, um, or, uh, Bale together. I think it really helps. I was thinking about how Padme having been to uh, that place for a week, you know, like kind of neat that sh- her presence in the force may still be there, which is maybe that's kind of why Leia has a feeling like she knew her mother because her her adoptive parents knew her mother pretty well. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get the feeling like this is a trip that Padme may go on many a times to visit back on Alderaan because she's become such good friends with these two. And so that when they adopt Leia, it makes so much more sense. You know, they were very close to her. They take her daughter, you know, the daughter in. And so I liked that part. Like that was one of those things where it's like, Oh, that kind of does add a little bit to The mythology of of Star Wars and kind of, you know, Leia being adopted by them and all. Um, I just didn't necessarily feel like there was enough of that. I wish there would have been more of those kind of things that really kind of helped tie all of these things together.
1: Yeah, I agree. I felt that way too when she even um, EK teases about Brea and Padme talking about twins. And talking about you know what it's going to be like to possibly have kids in the future, and Padme talking like she's not really sure that that's what she wants yet, but she knows someday. Um, it, it was a nice touch, but it still felt like we needed to have more of a relationship built between them, like you were saying, Matt. Yeah, there's a lot of thing about
2: relationships, but not like you were saying stakes and story. Mm-hmm. It's just about relationships.
0: Which I think, you know, when I think about that idea, you know, relationship type stories feel more like it's for a novella, you know, when you're just focusing on a specific relationship. When you're telling a novel story, I feel like you have to have both. And, you know, even I was thinking back with, you know, getting Padme dealing with another Jedi, you know, we have Balaba and, uh, and, this whole operation on um and I felt like that was a great opportunity to kind of strengthen the relationship between Padme and the Jedi that went beyond just Obi-Wan and Anakin mm-hmm. and I felt like they even that part of the story wasn't developed enough and and that part I think is just because that part goes so quickly like we're there we're gone we're there we're gone you know like And there's a pirate attack in the middle, but it's still about 15 pages worth of, of, of story at most, you know, like, Mm -hmm. whereas I felt like that whole part could have been like, another 50 pages worth of storyline, you know, of struggles. And it just, I kind of felt like you were talking about stakes and it just it felt like it, it came together too easily.
1: And I do feel like the epilogue was kind of unnecessary, because we know that Padme is going to die later, and maybe EK was adding that in to introduce why uh, Bail and Bria would end up receiving Leia, but it, it just felt like ending the book on a down note, rather than you could have left it at, so what's next? And it feeling, like, encouraging and, like, she's going to go off and do more things, you know, it instead ends on Padme's death. I, I think it was not needed.
0: Well, because it, it felt strange to end there, too, because couldn't you tell more stories about Padme in the 10 years? Like, this is maybe a year in the life of Padme. Mm-hmm. And... You got nine more before Anakin and Obi-Wan show back up with everything that happens at Attack of the Clones. And so it did. It just felt like a very strange place to end. And like you said, Bruce, it it does kind of feel like we'd need a Sabe book to make this feel, especially this very, the end of this,
1: feel like it makes sense. And especially to tell us more of what happens between Sabe and Tanra. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I I don't care about that.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I I and I don't feel like every Star Wars book necessarily has to be this way, but I mean when I think of Star Wars and reading Star Wars, I look for adventure and just wasn't really there, you know?
0: Well, and I mean I think you're right
2: in the sense that, you know, not every
0: story has book has to be like that, but even the parts where there was like action it just happened so quickly and it was over that again it kind of left it feeling like it was there's just some things in in there that wrap up too easily and so i guess that makes me wonder for for both of you you know coming to the end with
2: here with queen shadow what would you rate this do you think I think the book is strong when it comes to the characters, the relationships, the insight into the handmaidens, the insight into the transition of queen to senator, uh, the politics, all those aspects I really enjoyed. I just really missed, as I mentioned, having a story or things would be set up and then abandoned. So uh, I feel like it's strong knowing if you want to know more about Padme and the handmaidens. And about the Senate, I think it's really strong when it comes to that. But if you're looking for a really good Star Wars story or story in general, I think it's a little weak. So uh, I'll give this 3.72 outfits that Padme wears uh, five days a week. (laughs) Out of how many? Five? (laughs) Yes. Out of five days a week. 3.72 3, 3.72 outfits in, in five days a week.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'll try to stick with the same scale you used. Um, so I, I, I do feel like some of the same things you said are true with feeling like these stories that were really interesting were teased and given a little bit of history and then left to disappear. Um, and, and that was disappointing, especially dealing with the trip to Tatooine by Sabe and Tanra. It kind of felt like their trip was unnecessary. But I do think that there was some humor in the book, and and especially the mentions of how Padme's story interwove with all of the other characters. I enjoyed her bringing Clovis into this, because you, you don't really ever get much of him in Clone Wars, and it was funny remembering how jealous of him Anakin was. Um and then also bringing in Qui-Gon and R2, uh, Bail and Bria, and um, like I mentioned, my favorite part was her talking about how Panaka transforms into end up working with the Empire. Um, so I, I think that there were a lot of things that I enjoyed about the book, but for me, the politics in the beginning and the descriptions of the handmaidens changing and what they were wearing is not as much my thing, so it felt like it was hard to get through the first half of the book for me, um, to get to where the story got a little more gritty, um, so I give it probably, uh, we're sticking with a scale of one to five, uh, two and a half out of five, um, Rodians. Nice. <laughs> You know, we did a, I think a commendable job, kind of talking about
0: the the strengths of the novel and the weaknesses of it. And I think there are some real weaknesses in the book, and those weaknesses become that there's not a strong story to the book. There's a lot of great characterization, but Bruce, you, I think you rightly call that you really do need no, uh, both, um, and a novel form. You know, if you have a short story or something, that's completely different. You know, short stories are much more about characterization and kind of, I, I think, um, even novellas and, and whatnot. But I think there needed to be a stronger story. And I think that that kind of hurts my enjoyment of the book. As much as I got out of it and, you know, went on and on about, you know, the those things, I think that this book could have been much stronger. It could have been... The pinnacle of Padme books, you know, like, and, and part of that, I feel like maybe it's, and, and my wife mentioned this, I think she was really onto something because it's such a short time period. I feel like this should have just been a kind of an epic tome on basically those years in Padme's life between, you know, episode one and episode two. So that you really do get this sense of like time, this that you could really add this storyline in, like you mentioned, Bruce. You could take some of those storylines like what we got with uh Tatooine, what we get with um the attempted on um the attempt on her life. All of those kind of things we could really flesh out and make full bodied story. Um and and that's just not here and so I, I mean, originally uh, read the book and and wrote a review on it and rated it. And it was 3.5 out of five. But actually rereading the book and then thinking through it, talking about it with my wife and then talking with you guys, I really do feel like this is three out of five secret conversations with some unknown Lord, Mm -hmm. because it's. It's better than average, but, but it's just better than average, you know? And so, and I wanted more because as a fan, I really do love Padme and I think she's been treated kind of badly by fans and m- ridiculously maligned for no good reason. I think she's a good character and I, I did just want more for her as a character and in, in many of the ways that I wanted more from Captain Marvel for that character so, I think it was interesting seeing that movie and then reading this book very close together. And I felt like they had the same problems mm. um, in the sense that I wanted more for the main character that I didn't feel like was there. Although the characterization here for Padme is much better than the characterization for Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and Captain Marvel. So, um, but I just I'm really glad we got to talk about this. We do have some. Fun Star Wars books that are going to be coming up. Uh, We've got Master and Apprentice that's coming out about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan by Claudia Gray. can't wait. We've got the next Thrawn book coming out by Timothy Zahn. Um, We'll have Black Spire that's coming out, which is uh, by the lovely Delilah Dawson, who, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Phasma, but her book was fantastic. Um, regardless, like it was just a great Star Wars book and a great story. So very excited to see what she does there on Black Spire on Batu. Um, so you know we've got some great stuff coming out. Of course, Star Wars Celebration is right around the corner. All three of us will be there. Ooh. And so, oh, yeah, um, yeah,
2: we're going.
0: So, I know it's it's <laughs> right. I mean, literally a month away because we'll already be there in a month. Um, and so. We will also uh, be tweeting about it. So check us out there uh, and we'll probably get some more book news is my guess um, at that convention. So very excited for better. that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I would hope so. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, your listening to the 602 club. If you would like to support the network, you can do that. Like our associate producers here. We have Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Y. Millett, and Daniel Noah who've been supporting the network and this show for a very long time and they do that through patreon.com slash track fm which is the place you can go and support the network and be part of our team every little bit helps every little bit a month makes a huge difference to us it costs a lot to put this network together each and every month and we need your help so again please go over to patreon.com slash track fm we've got some great contributions levels where you can get extra perks But honestly, again, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash FM. Now, Bruce, you're no stranger to the Six of Clue Club, but if people wanted to catch up with you and uh, see what else you've got going on, where can they find you?
2: Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast. So that's out there. But here on the network, I do Live from the Edge with... Brandy Jacola, and we do a live show about Star Trek Discovery every time an episode premieres. Then the next night we do it live on YouTube. We have the chat group, and then we record that live show and release it as a podcast as part of the Edge feed. And then I also do Literary Treks, the official Star Trek books and comics podcast of the Trek FM network. I do it with Dan Gunther, and of course, Matt used to host that show. And, uh, so there, and don't worry, I'm not going to then take over the six oh two club. So no, no worries there. <laughs> and, uh, that's about it. I'm always in the Babel conference and just real quick. And so I slightly, m- my rating of this book was slightly higher than you guys. I agree with you guys hundred percent, but I give it a little slightly higher rating because I know that anytime now I see the handmaidens or Padme or the Senate, I'm going to think about this book. So if it stays in my head, that's a good mm, sign.
1: That's a good point.
2: Well, Christy,
0: you know, if uh, anybody wants to catch up with you and especially be following you as we're going to be heading to Star Wars Celebration, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And uh, I did actually do a little teaser post for this episode about Queen's Shadow. So I hope everybody saw that and you'll come and listen to the podcast. Um, but also other than the 602 Club, I am on uh, once a month on the Star Wars Report doing a fashion in five update on men's and women's star wars fashion and during star wars celebration i'll be doing a daily update on that on any fashion news um so i'll hope you'll stay tuned for that
2: just don't talk about my fashion at the convention i, I don't need any criticism on what i'm, wear, of what
0: <laughs> you I'm have wearing great so. fashion it's just gonna be daily posts of what bruce is wearing so it's what not to wear right what saying. <laughs> right okay awesome i'm following Uh, You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name MattRushing02. I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We hope to have a new episode out to you soon. Uh, You can find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. And then I'm doing aggressive negotiations with my good buddy John Mills as we talk about Star Wars every week. Sometimes we get into some aggressive negotiations like we did couple weeks ago when we were talking about Rogue One and sometimes it's more a friendly conversation so it's always so much fun I hope you'll check it out and then last but not least you can also find me doing a show called Cinema Stories with my good pal Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith but we want to say thank you so much for joining
1: us and may the force be with you
2: Oh, oh, oh.